Warning, this podcast contains strong language, graphic nudity, and depictions of extreme stupidity and is meant only for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Or not, you do you. Hello and welcome to the worst podcast on Mars, also known as House Fit for a King. I'm Amanda. Apparently I am the cat's love nest. I am sitting on the furniture that is the cat's love nest. Can you please explain? Cats are making out on the other side of the couch. That's all. Okay. And your real name is? <laughs> David S. Pumpkins. Oh, great. So this is the podcast that takes an album and, and gives you the history and how well it charted and why it was so popular and successful. And this week we're doing Paul Simon's Graceland. But before we get into that, Evan wanted to talk about <laughs> Guns and Roses. He wanted to do it in a lot fancier way, but I really wasn't listening because I was having a snack. So here's the segue. So thanks for paying attention to me. Go. So I know I just finished editing Guns N' Roses, I think, last night. And I know we were briefly talking about, hey, you wanted to get more into them, just kind of like what you said about Black Sabbath and all that, mm-hmm. but you never got a chance to. So I wanted you, I brought up Chinese democracy. So yes. I was like, okay, hey, listen to this a little bit. And I played a little bit for you before we started this. Mm-hmm. Do you see the point that I'm trying to make that it's it's like Iron Maiden's X Factor, where you have this idea of what Guns N' Roses is, what Iron Maiden is, and then it's a complete change in style, and it's not well-received, but when you take it by itself, it's not necessarily a bad album. I get what you're saying, and I think, I honestly think every artist or group is like that. And here's my example. Panic. Their second album, most people don't like because it was something completely different. And I know most bands... Or artists, they'll do that down the line a bit. They throw you a curveball, but it's, you know, four or five albums in. Whereas Panic's second album was, it was called Pretty Odd. And to me, it sounded like The Beatles. Yeah. It, you know, it was like more like their white album sounding stuff. And the experimental, like, folksy kind of thing. But it was something completely different from their first album. And then the rest of their work leading up to this last album he released, it all kind of sounds similar to the first one. So Pretty God kind of stands out on its own. So I, I get it. Yeah, it, it, the, the, I understand the point you're trying to make. It's just when you have somebody that's been established for yes. uh, forever, and then it's that change in style that's... With Pretty Odd, I think it would be better received than x factor or chinese democracy simply because nobody really knows what to expect from this band yet Mm -hmm. but when you have with chinese democracy when you have that almost 15 year gap before and everybody leaves the band right no i i understand i understand it and it i didn't like what you played (laughs) (laughs) so but because it's it's not the guns and roses style it's not the Guns N' Roses sound that you're well, that you expect, but you know what I mean. It's 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 because you're because you have this kind of idea of what it's supposed to sound like, and it's not that. And you're like, nope, nope, don't like this. And I think that's what the general public was with that and the X Factor, mm-hmm. which is a point that I wanted that I was trying to make during the X Factor. Is like if you just listen to it by itself, it's not bad, but when you encompass it with the entire body of work, then that's where people start having issues with it right so if i i would recommend listening to listening to both of those on their own and it's just like okay this is if you go into a mindset with just this you know i'm sure there's other ones on this list that are you have an idea like kind of like the white album like you know what the beatles are supposed to sound like and you just listen to the white album by itself you you kind of insulate yourself from everything else and you focus on just the music in front of you you may have a different opinion of it. Whereas if you take their, you listen to it with their entire body of work and then you're like, what is this crap? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I see your point. So I just, I wanted to bring that up because I know we were, I've listened to most of Chinese democracy since we recorded guns, since we recorded appetite. Okay. So, and I, and saying, and listening to them, in such a short time frame, it's like, okay, yes, there's a there's a clear difference. I have a question. Okay. 
Was your hair looking like that all day today? Yes. Are you? You went to work like your hair is just everywhere. That's what hair looks like. It just—I mean, it's messy, and you just went to work like that, and you haven't. I wore a hat over it. All day. No, but I wore a hat over it. Oh my god! All right, so I'm gonna get into it. So this week, like I said, we're talking Paul Simon's Graceland. It was released August 25th, 1986. And is number 83 on this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame list. Now, before we get into this, I have to say, I would have never imagined, I mean, okay, I don't know much about Paul Simon, and I'll get into the little bit I know later. You know, like, every time we do the review section, I tell you a little bit, like, my Yeah, what you knew. Yeah. The story that I read, and that I will present to you momentarily... I would not have associated with Paul Simon. See, I was very, very surprised. And I, I don't know. Well, you don't know any of it because well, you don't on. do the work. I don't know much of the background information, but this is really, I know a few Simon and Garfunkel, but this is really the only Paul Simon solo stuff that I've been, I guess, exposed to. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what to expect from his other work. So I don't, this to me. more as like a human Okay. It just seems very mild-mannered. So the story I'm going to tell you, I was kind of surprised by. Not Did he fight off a bear? This, what? Did he fight off a bear? No. Not as surprised and shocked as, let's say, recording in a Nazi mansion. Surprise, but still, like... Call back. For this is... I was surprised. So here we go. Right before this came out, Simon had kind of hit rock bottom. He broke up with his partner, Art Garfunkel, for the second time. His solo album, Hearts and Bones, was a flop, and he had just gotten divorced from his wife. Do you know who his wife was? Wasn't he married to Carrie Fisher at Carrie one point? Carrie Fisher, yep. Like, for, like, what was it, like four days? Um, I don't think so. I think it was longer than that. Because um, I, I thought I remembered seeing an interview with her that, or, you, do you know which interview I'm talking about? They, they got back together at some point. No, it, it was, I think they were asking her, and she said she was getting married tomorrow. I don't know. Some interview... That I remember her talking about she was married Where to. Where she said stuff and things? Yes. Good job. Yeah. So She's getting a walk on the, or a star. Good. On May 4th. I uh, wonder why. I guess it's across the street from her mom's and it's next to one of the other twos. Well, I don't remember who she's ne- going to be next to. Thank you. Can I continue? Actually, that was, that was a week uh, ago. When this comes out, it yeah. was a week ago? Yeah. Thank you. May I continue? Now you may. Thank you. So, like I said, uh, Paul Simon had just broken up with Art Garfunkel for the second time. Previous album flopped, and he'd just gotten divorced from Carrie Fisher. In the middle middle of all of this, Simon received a bootleg recording called Gumboots, Accordion Jive Hits, Volume 2, from a friend. He was instantly hooked, thinking the music reminded him a lot of the R&B he loved so much when he was younger. However, Simon learned that this music was called, and I'm gonna butcher this. Okay. Mbakana. Okay, that's not the word I thought you were gonna mispronounce. <laughs> Which is, were you thinking jazz? <laughs> no, I thought the word you were gonna say started with a Z. Sorry, that was our cats. Um, it, that's a genre made popular in Soweto, which I I'm, I swear I'm going to butcher a lot of these names because a lot of them, spoiler alert, it, a lot of this story has to do with South Africa. So I'm going to, I straight up going to butcher these names and I apologize, not trying to be rude or disrespectful. Um, Soweto just happened to be the largest and most notorious black township in South Africa during apartheid. Recorded in South Africa during apartheid. Is it apartheid? Apartheid? I think it's tied. Tied. Um, Simon ignored an international boycott placed by the United Nations to work with local musicians, the ones that were heard on his bootleg tape, for this album, creating one of the most controversial albums ever. And and it's not like, it's around the same time frame, not like it's straight out of Compton controversial because of like the content, but the, the location and the like the like the actual recording of it mm-hmm. instead Which of I'm gonna get into instead a lot of more. like content yes so for those that may not know what apartheid was 
It was the, and this is a quote, system of legislation that upheld segregation against non-white citizens of South Africa. It started in 1948 and lasted nearly 50 years, with the official end being marked by a new constitution in 1994. At the time, most artists refused to play in South Africa, and Simon was called naive by many anti-apartheid activists for potentially damaging solidarity because he chose to record with South African musicians. These musicians included include Lady Smith Black Mambazo, Tao A. Smatseka, General M.D. Sharinda and the Gaza Sisters, and the Boyo, Boyoyo Boys Band. I apologize. Who were the ones that on, on that bootleg tape? For this, Simon was blacklisted by the UN. So that that was a lot of stuff right there. So let me break it down for you. So apartheid was the racial segregation. Okay. Okay. And um, in order to kind of okay think think in terms now, all the sanctions being put on Russia for the attacks on Ukraine. That was kind of in the same, like, what, what the UN was doing. We're boycotting everything South African. Because we're, we, as the United Nations, are saying what you're doing is awful. So we are boycotting you. That was their way of putting sanctions on it. Artists at the time were not going down to the, there to perform because South Africa um, is, it's largely white, isn't it? Really, the only... Um, I don't know what word I'm looking for that I have knowledge that I have would be through District 9 and Chappie. Yeah. I don't, I don't know much. It was colonized and there, there are resorts down there that would pay big bucks for artists to come and play for their, their members or the people, you know, vacationing at these resorts. So I'm assuming one of them would have been Johannesburg. Might be. Or Cape, I think Cape Town. Well, I don't think I mentioned specifics other than this one particular part, but yeah, Cape Town's down there, Johannesburg, yes. Um, So a lot of artists took a stand and they're like, no, we're not going to take your money to go play here because we don't support what your country is doing, what your government is doing. So what Simon did, and we're going to talk a lot more about his choice, he went against that boycott to record with black musicians he wasn't performing for white audiences necessarily he just wanted to record with these black musicians he was inspired by their music wanted to instead of doing it and kind of stealing it he wanted to do it with them to create something and the result he got blacklisted by the un so here's a note about the boycott it was put in place in december 1980 the boycott was this and this is a direct quote quote the United Nations General Assembly requests all states to prevent all cultural, academic, sporting, and other exchanges with South Africa. Appeals to writers, artists, musicians, and other personalities to boycott South Africa. Urges all academic and cultural institutions to terminate all links with South Africa. So, Graceland was not the first anything to take a stand against apartheid. Stevie wonders it's wrong. Peter Gabriel's, I don't know if it's Biko or Biko, it's B-I-K-O. And Jerry Dammers and the special AKA's free Nelson Mandela were all about apartheid. So that boycott from the UN, like I said, it wasn't, it, it was like, like their, their sanctions against Russia. It was kind of like saying, hey world, take notice. What they're doing is wrong. We're taking a stand. And it wasn't necessarily against musicians, but... Musicians were the big lure there to perform at these resorts. And it was just kind of saying like We're not gonna take your money, we're not gonna we're not gonna support your finances, you know. If you yeah. go if you get into economic problems, well it's your own damn fault. Yeah, kinda. Um so at the same time he was getting shit on for this, Simon was also getting praised by some South African musicians and some anti-apartheid activists. Two of these activists, Hugh Maskella, I apologize, and Miriam Makeba, I'm also apologizing. I'm going to be doing that a lot. 
Just just do it all at the end. Say, hey, sorry for <laughs> fucking up everybody's names. Even they, Those two even toured with Simon to promote Graceland. The overall theme of the album kind of goes against everything that inspired Simon to record it in the first place. Through the use of standard American rock music, South African hymns, sorry, South African rhythms, funk, that Mumbakana, and sorry, doo-wop, iskithemia, I don't know what that is, traditional South African music, and Louisiana Cajun music, Simon's, Simon's album helped to bring the talent from black South Africans to a more global audience. The album as a whole isn't necessarily a protest against apartheid. He simply wanted to work with the musicians he admired to create something special. So, you know, there were so many people taking a stand. And he, 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 uh, he, he went against the boycott. But it, he, like I said, he wasn't going to perform. He just wanted to create. And he wanted to help the world see these black artists that were creating such wonderful music. We're going to keep bringing this up. <laughs> well, I'm I'm disappointed that you haven't said the word that I thought you were going to mispronounce by now. And you were talking about the influences and all that. So I'll just tell you. What? Zydeco. Zydeco. I've seen that word before and I know I can pronounce it. And yes, I know that you can plug this stuff into Google and figure this out. I am not that well prepared, so <laughs> I apologize. Um, during apartheid, these black artists had to adhere to some very strict laws. For one, they had a curfew. Also, there were police everywhere. But the most interesting bit I found was about the pay for these musicians. Simon was paying each musician $200 per hour for their work in the studio. Which, by today's rate, I mean, I would be happy with $200 an hour for me to go in and play. Yeah. This was in the 80s. I am not, I mean, I'm... I consider my myself to be a quote-unquote professional musician. If you get paid for something, it makes you a professional. That's my way of thinking. But, like, I am not a professional studio musician that people seek out to help, you know, on their records. So, anyway, I think 200 bucks in 2023 is great. This was 1980-something. So, um, he paid them $200 per hour for their work in the studio. At the time, the standard rate for Johannesburg musicians was $15 per day. Okay. So, so he, he really paid these musicians well for their, their time and their effort and their work. Graceland ended up not only being Simon's big comeback, but also was considered to be the best work of his career. According to the Library of Congress, it was... Here's another word I'm going to butcher. Yes. Real quick. Was it solo career or career in general? Did it say? You just said career in general. Okay, because I, like I said, but I it was, it, it, like I said, his first one, or the one before this flopped, so this was his big comeback. It might be his solo career. I was going to say, because if you look at at least the, I know we talked on Gump, uh, Mrs. Robinson, I, I know Bridge Over Troubled Water's been talked about, Sound of Silence, so I don't know compared to uh, his work with Garfunkel, if that would have been on the same i didn't right. i just didn't know on the scale okay. so according to the library of congress it was quote ebullient don't 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 ask me um inspirational redemptive innovative intense diamond brilliant shimmering and simply gorgeous the album revitalized simon and gave him a chance to re return to his musical roots and here's my last note before we move on to the cultural while most articles I found mentioned Simon's comeback and why it was controversial, not many mentioned the backlash it had on South Africa after its release. The UN boycott was meant to denounce the way South African government was handling apartheid, specifically the separation and segregation. However, the nationalist state media used Graceland as a tool against these cultural sanctions and it was used to defend the concepts of racial separation and the strengthening of the townships. Furthermore, the government used examples from Graceland to further their policies, noting that, quote, 
Blacks of the country actually belong in artificially created tribal homelands in order to observe these folk traditions and therefore need to be separated from the white society through government-created boundaries. You. Okay. I actually wrote you. <laughs> so, it, so he did this album, and like, like I said a few times now, it wasn't to exploit anybody. It wasn't to perform for certain people and make a lot of money he just he really liked the music and he just wanted to make music with artists he was inspired by but that also had strong repercussions for south africa because the government kind of doubled down and like see we need to separate these people they need to be in this so they can separate their culture and 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 act accordingly and your hand is raised what would that have you said that uh he didn't want to exploit them would that have anything to do with why he paid them so much so it's not saying that hey you know here we're i'm going to pay you according to what i think you're actually contributing rather than you know this little could be back here i mean i didn't find much about that specifically but i mean he could have gone down there paid the going rate of the $15 a day, which I'm assuming was set by the government, and, you know, taken their recordings and came back home and not given anybody any credit. But he didn't do that. He paid them very, very well. And, you know, he credited a lot of them, I believe. Um, You know, and and then promoted... it, It was... It was something more meaningful to him. So, yeah. So, do you have any other questions before I move on? Other than I'm wondering, logistically, if he were to play some of these on tour, would he, I would assume he would use backing tracks instead of traveling with some of them. I would assume so. Um, Especially touring in release of the album, like right after. I would assume that'd be a little bit hard. Um, a little bit difficult. I don't. I don't remember if I um, mentioned this part, but one of those groups that he worked with, because he did work with a lot of different groups and, and musicians, one of them actually um, came on Saturday Night Live with him to perform something from this. Um, so, but I can't imagine doing a full-on tour with everybody. Yeah, logistically, I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. So moving on. Okay. So, getting into the cultural impact and charting and stuff. Graceland is considered to be one of the most influential and enduring albums of all time. It entered the Billboard charts at number three in America and at number one in England and Australia. It went platinum five times in the U.S. and sold over 14 million copies worldwide, making it one of the largest selling albums ever. Graceland won Album of the Year at the 1987 Grammys, as well as Song of the Year in 1988 for the title track. What were what else were we talking about recently? That was 87. Was it Murmur? We're talking about like best album. I think so. Okay. I, don't, I, don't I was just trying to I was just trying to figure out time frame of when this like what it would have been up against. Yeah, I don't. You, that you'd have to do some digging for that. Um, the singles released were You Can Call Me Out, Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes, and The Boy in the Bubble. Really? Graceland wasn't released as a single? It might have been, but I didn't... Here's my problem, okay? Because, again, this is not my full-time job. This is a hobby. Once I find one maybe two things that say you know that talk about the singles like i don't find anything specifically that lists you know what i have and i'm not copying and pasting it's it's an article that i'll talk about you know you can call me out was ranked number 27 on the top 100 or whatever and it some sometimes i find stuff like that and then i just i add it as a note and and just do a group try to group them together so they could I might have found this on two, maybe three different articles that didn't mention Graceland specifically, or I I don't know. I mean, it won a Grammy, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was released as a single. I would imagine it would have been, though. I would have thought, but I like I said, it's how long do you spend to find 
everything that's out there short of Colin Paul Simon himself. You know what I mean? So if if you find it, please send it to me. I'll share it and make it as a correction. So, um, and I, I hate just going to Wikipedia or just, and it's, it's hard. I ha- if I can't find anything that specifically talks about the singles released, I will go to like Paul Simon Graceland album singles released or something like that. And then it just lists all the songs. Yeah. Like, this is not helpful. Like all the songs on the album. So it's, it's very hard. And then I, at that point I get frustrated and I quit. <laughs> so, um, well, according, I know you don't want to go there. Wikipedia. I'm, I'm going there first because I, I was seeing if it was even there was released as a single in November of 86. Okay. And there was a, an under African skies was also released supposedly. Right. Now, like I said, I didn't come across anything specific, but that doesn't mean I, like I said, didn't go through everything there is out there. So thank you for adding that. While Graceland has been viewed as a great album that brought black South African music to a more global scene, not everyone feels this way. Jonas Gwangwa, a South African trombonist who was the leader of the cultural group Amandala, disagreed with the thought that Simon should be praised for this, noting that, quote, so it has taken another white man to discover my people. His argument against Simon's work was that he was just another white man taking something that wasn't his and making it popular. And he's not wrong. In a documentary titled Under African Skies, Simon takes criticism for the way he went about things and going against the boycott. The UN boycott was meant to be an all-or-nothing thing. It was UN's way of saying that apartheid was wrong, and Simon went against that. However, Simon argued that he was on the side of the artists and not that of the politicians. While some saw him on the wrong side of the argument, others thought he helped to bring South African music out of the limbo it was in due to the exile and laws that didn't allow these artists to grow. In a 2013 interview with National Geographic, Simon noted that, quote, What was unusual about Graceland is that it was on the surface apolitical, but what it represented was the essence of the anti-apartheid in that it was a collaboration between blacks and whites to make music that people everywhere enjoyed. And here's my last note. Because of the success of Graceland, Ladysmith Black Mambazo had a very long and very popular international career. While they were very popular in South Africa in their own right, Graceland brought them into the mainstream and they toured the world for years. I think they might even still be touring. One of the articles I said they still even tour today, but I don't remember how old that one was, so. But I think, so again, he didn't go out there to to perform. He went out there to collaborate, and you're trying not to say listen. Um, He went out there to collaborate and kind of bring this music out into the, not necessarily mainstream, but, but more more mainstream than it was. Yes. Especially uh, if he had a career in the UK as well. Or yeah. UK, Europe. Yeah. And where I would, I would imagine this type of music would more be localized to South Africa unless you have some kind of... Like, we mentioned the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you have some of that influence over in the caribbean as well like with the different styles like with the where was what was the other one the cajun mm-hmm. cajun or zydeco so you might have some pieces here or there but as a whole right. i would imagine that it's not gonna so uh, i think he achieved what he set out to do um and he made a lot of money off of it too whether or not that was his end goal it worked but it's neither here nor there. But that's the story of Graceland. Would you like me to get into my sources? Okay. So thank you to Paul Simon's Graceland, 10 Things You Didn't Know by Jordan Runta, published August 25th, 2016 on rollingstone.com. Thank you to Graceland, a retrospective a pulse of Paul Simon's influential album by Henry Mitchell, published October 27th, 2021 on org. Thank you to Apartheid on hi- by the History.com editors, published October 7th, 2010 on History.com. 
Thank you to Paul Simon's Graceland, The Acclaim and the Outrage by Robin Denslow, published April 19th, 2012 on theguardian.com. Thank you to Graceland, Paul Simon, 1986 by Mark Elliott, 2006 on uh, libraryofcongress.gov. It's just loc.gov. Um, thank you to Paul Simon, Graceland by Alexander Robertson Rose, uh, no date, on hearingaidmagazine.com. I always find one I was, that web website that is just. Bonkers. I'll have to. I'll have to use that for the other thing. Thank you too. Number forty-six, Paul Simon, Graceland, nineteen eighty-six, by Brett Schweitz. No date on highlights for kids. RS five hundred albumscom Is that the one you were talking about? You're going to use that's that what that I was episode? waiting for. Thank you to Paul Simon's Graceland Journey under African Skies. No author, no date on pbs.org. And that might be, uh, when we get time, that might be a little interesting little documentary to watch. Um, well, what did you say it was? The Under African Skies. Um, it's, he, he actually like reunites with some of these artists and some people and the, they have interviews and stuff. It's really, sounded really interesting. Thank you to Treble 100, number 76, Paul Simon Graceland by Constantin Rega, published April 5th, 2023 on treblezine.com. Thank you to Paul Simon's Graceland and Everlasting Redemption by Milo Bergner, published January 6th, 2022 on popmatters.com. And this, this one was a really good article about the negative impact and how we really shouldn't use Paul Simon as a hero here. Graceland was cultural appropriation before it was a term, and it was more than just his comeback album. It was really very interesting. So if you're if you're wanting to dive more into into it, I suggest reading that one. And, and I will say that one again is my last one. Paul Simon's Graceland and Everlasting Redemption by Milo Bergner, published January 26, 2022 on popmatters.com. All right, Evan, you want to get into your reviews? Yeah, I guess so. So, I've kind of got into this before, but growing up, like, I, dad played international folk dance music, so I've heard uh, not necessarily African, but some of the Middle Eastern, Asia, mm-hmm. all that. So, nothing on this sounded surprising to me. Like, it's not anything that I hadn't been exposed to before. I just don't think it had really heard anything like major that used some of these influences. So I'm going in once I'm starting to listen to it and kind of figure out what it's going to sound like. I'm like, okay, this isn't you know this isn't bad. I've like I said, I've heard this before. I've heard some of these styles before, so it's not like a, a major shock mm-hmm. listening to it. It's still not, maybe not necessarily something I would enjoy listening to consistently. Right. But, you know, I don't I don't mind it. Uh, I'm going to keep two tracks. Do you have any guesses as to what they are? You can call me out. And? Graceland. Yep. The only two that I'm keeping. Um, I was kind of... Now, it's been... I've listened to a lot of things since then. So, it's... Not as fresh as if I had listened to it just an hour ago, but it seemed that it was a little bit all over the place in terms of like it would go from maybe Zydeco to the traditional South African and then do an acoustic and then it would just go to something else. So it was hard to get into, you know, because it wasn't a consistent thing that I would have hoped based on the knowledge of him that I had going into this that I would have expect I would have hoped it would have been more of a and I have I've said that before it's like I don't mind if an artist changes their styles you know just don't go from one extreme to the next on the same CD without a, without a track in between you know just kind of if you're going to explore the themes at least kind of be consistent in what themes you're exploring within 3 minutes <laughs> yeah you know, like I said, I don't mind. I I go from Bob Dylan to death metal, you know, but I, I know what I'm expecting. Mm-hmm. Like if I, I'm looking at it like, okay, I'm going to go from this shift to another shift. But 
I don't expect a death metal album to go to Bob Dylan in the middle of the album. Right. And that that's one of the things that was hard on this one. And that it's it's a little bit lighter than stuff that I would normally listen to. I don't mind some of the light stuff. It it's just as long as I know what kind of what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So probably a B minus. I would be interested in listening to what was the one before this? You said Hearts and Bones, bones or I something think. like that. I'd be interested to see what that sounds like mm-hmm. because, like I said, really. You Can Call Me Alan Graceland were really the only two songs of his solo that I know. And I'm wondering if the rest of it, the rest of his stuff sounds kind of more like Simon and Garfunkel stuff. Mm-hmm. Or if this was a gradual shift moving in this direction more more like when Bob Dylan, what was it? it I don't think it was Highway 61 when he went electric, was it? Mm-hmm. Kind of like that that dramatic shift or if it was a gradual kind of moving in this direction of moving towards... The electric sound. So it'd be interesting to look at. I don't think I can give a fair answer without listening to the rest of the body work and seeing if it's if it's just like a. I under I like what he did in you know working with other musicians. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of looking at musicians that may not. I guess, for lack of a better word, underground musicians, Mm -hmm. indie musicians. You know, kind of it's like the whole thing with. what was it, Kanye West and Paul McCartney? That every, you know what I mean. That that everybody said, who's Paul? Who is this? You know, that's what I like about Kanye. I was working with these unknown musicians. Yeah. You know, it's the same kind of thing. Is he was? I'll give him credit for Let's working. Let's be with. clear. That's not you saying that. No. That's other people. No. Saying that. that was that whole thing. I don't even remember what song it was, but it's the, you know, working with artists that may not be as well known. It's it's like the. The headliner supporting the opening act, and nobody's ever heard of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that kind of hey, you know, I like what you do. I want to support you. This is how I know how. Yeah. You know, I I don't really know anything any other way to support you other than to work with you. So I do like that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm one. And I don't know how much of that else he's done in his career. But based on, I'll give him as a human an A. I'll give the execution like a B minus. Okay. So, it's if that makes any sense. Whether or not it makes sense, I don't care. It's just that, you know, I've never made sense before. No. Why start now? Right. So, um, my review. Okay. I'm not a big fan of Paul Simon's work. Um, I like some of his stuff from the 60s with Garfunkel, you know. The more hippie type stuff. <laughs> um, I do like him as a person, though. I remember seeing him on the very early episodes of SNL. Um, wasn't he dressed as a turkey for one of those? I don't know. He might have been dressed as a bee. I, uh, er, uh, like early, early. Mm-hmm. And I know he has a bit of a self-deprecating humor about him, which I can definitely relate to because I also have that kind of humor. Um, so like Bowie, I think he's incredibly talented but his stuff just isn't what I'm into, so I knew going into Graceland that I wouldn't like it, and I was right. However, I did appreciate it more, knowing the background about it. Uh, one thing I really like to do is learn about other cultures. That's one of my favorite things to do, is I love learning about other cultures. Um, I love to learn about the traditions, and the food, and the clothing, the music, the hair, the art, whatever from other countries and cultures. So knowing that this album was laced with the black South African music made me excited to listen, even if I knew I wasn't going to keep anything. Um, I thought the album as a whole was beautiful, and I really did enjoy how he incorporated that music style into his own. I, of course, was familiar with You Can Call Me Al. I think all band nerds are. Isn't, I think that video is with Chevy Chase. It is. Um, but I had no clue what was actually in the background, so I like it more now. Because when I was introduced to the song, it was in marching band, and, you know, it's all, like, flutes. Um, however, this music isn't something I'm going to come back to just just to listen again. So I, I think, like you, as a person, A, but I gave, I, I kept nothing, and I gave the album a B plus. Yeah, Graceland and You Call Me Out are, are going into... Those are regular playlists. Mm-hmm. For you. Yeah. 
I've never really so. cared for You Can Call Me Out. I mean, the, the solo in the middle of it was fun to watch somebody play live in nerd band, but, like... Yeah, it's yeah. A, something fun, something different. Yeah. So, okay. Um, should I even bother? Final thoughts? Nope. Goddamn. Overall, I'm really not sure how I feel about the album. While the songs are beautiful and I don't believe Simon was actively trying to do anything negative in creating it... I do see both sides of the argument. Apartheid was awful, and although he didn't go there to create this for the money, I do see why it was controversial at the time. However, because he chose to make this album where he did and with who he did, it showed the world how shitty and ridiculous apartheid rules were. His goal was to unite, and it just so happened that this album worked so well in his favor. Um, so I... Oh, you know how I said he was blacklisted by the UN? Okay. That was lifted. I don't remember how long it was, but it, it was lifted. So he's not blacklisted by the UN anymore. So what exactly was the blacklist for? Like, was because he just... He, he no, like, did against the like what was... What couldn't he do? Not... I don't think the UN has the power to say you can't do anything, but the UN it's kind of like... Going back to these Russian sanctions, basically they were saying... Paul Simon bad. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I, I, I get that he was blacklisted, but I just don't know what that it's entails. It's on the same level as people boycotting Bud Light right now. <laughs> and now Maybelline. I don't know if you've heard that. No, I haven't. It's but that's a, that's a whole... Yes. We'll get into that later. So, dealer's choice, question corner recommendations, or this day in history? Uh, let's go with question corner. Okay. We'll make it short. Do you think you would be interested in checking out any of his other work? Other solo work, not Simon I, and Garfunkel work. I think so. Um, this album was good. And like I said, he's very talented. And it was it was beautiful for what it was. Um, so I am interested in some of his other stuff. But like off the top of my head, I legitimately can't name another Paul Simon, Paul Simon song. I can't either. You know. So. This is what I know. Right. Um, and to be honest, before I read You Can Call Me Out, I really had no clue. I'm like, I could see the video and I can hear it. Could I have told you that was Paul Simon? No. Just, I'm bad at that. Yeah. So. But that, that's been established and that's not just him. That's a lot of that's things. A, yeah, a lot of people. So. I might know some other things, but yeah, I think I, I think that it's with a lot of these. I'm I'm willing to give a lot of their other stuff a try, and except from Rush, you know, I am willing to listen to more than one album to decide whether or not I'm gonna like something. Yeah, because you're no fun. Right. So okay. Um, I'm looking at Apple Music real quick on top songs, and I'm not recognizing anything else that's not. Related to, it looks like, um, like the boxers up there. But it's like, we know that that's Simon and Garfunkel. So, okay. All right. So. You want to get into birthdays, I guess? This right. is, is where I start now. Birthdays. So, May 12th. May 12th. Okay. Yeah. American composer, songwriter, record producer, pianist, and singer, Burt Bacharach. With Hal David, he wrote many classic songs, including Close to You, 24 Hours from Tulsa, Make It Easy on Yourself, Magic Moments, I Say a Little Prayer. Uh, won two Oscars for the film score to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and for the song Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Uh, songs have been recorded by more than 1,000 different artists, mm -hmm. and as of 2014, he had written 73 U.S. and 52 U.K. top 40 hits. There's one Died earlier this year. Up. That was that I mentioned that they, he this person did a song that was written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David. I don't, know. I don't remember who he died. He died earlier this year. Oh really? Mm -hmm. At oh, the age did. of old. At the age of old. Okay. Oh, I need a birthday. Yeah. That's why, like, you pause. Nineteen. So far, you're doing good. How old was he when he died? Old. You think I'm gonna do math? Um. 94. He was... He, 34. He died at the age of 94. So it is not 1934. What is it? 1928. Okay. 
because you gave me the you gave me how old and my brain was like food (laughs) (laughs) how does that have anything to we're just we're not we're not doing math okay uh how about henry crosby american songwriter arranger producer and musician who worked for motown records from its formative years along with sylvia mccoy sylvia moy cosby was a key collaborator with Stevie Wonder from 1963 to 1970. Co-wrote three U.S. number one hits, uh, Stevie Wonder's Fingertips, The Supreme's Love Child, and The Miracle's The Tears of a Clown. 34. 28. (laughs) We're going to do a little bit of a jump. English rock and roll singer, songwriter, and actor Ian Dury. His 1977 UK number five album, New Boots and Panties, spent 90 weeks on the UK chart and scored, and he scored the 1979 UK number one single, Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick. 34. 42. American country singer songwriter Billy Swan, who had the 1974 US number one and 1975 UK number six single, I Can Help. 47. 44. English keyboard instrumentalist. It says instrumentalist. I think it. I think it's instrumentalist. Ian McLagan for Small Faces, who had the 1967 UK number three and US number 17 single Ichiku Park, and the 1968 UK number one album Ogden's Nut Gone Flake. Was that English? Yes. 47. 46. Okay, finally somebody I'll recognize. Maybe you recognize him too. Steve Winwood, who with the Spencer Davis group had the 1966 UK number one single, Keep On Running. With Traffic, the 1967 UK number two single, Hole in My Shoe. And I paused there because I was going to keep reading and then I got distracted. Yeah, that was a weird pause. Uh, 49. 48. Okay. We'll do one you actually, actually know this time. Okay. Billy Squire, who had the 1982 hit Strongman Jumping. <laughs> stroke me, stroke me. The stroke. The stroke. 51. 50. Last few have only been off a year. Okay. Eric Singer. Do you know that name? Not offhand. Drummer for Kiss. Not the original drummer, but... uh, A drummer. He debuted with the band on the 1992 album Revenge. 52. 58. And I guess we'll do one more. Just kind of leave it because you're not doing so well tonight. Mm Mm-mm. I don't do so well any night. (laughs) English guitarist and songwriter Billy Duffy, who with Theater of Hate... Had the 1982 UK hit single, Do You Believe in the Westworld? And as a member of the cult, had the 1987 UK number 11 single, Lil Devil. 63. 59. Okay, move on. Okay, this day in history. 1958. The Everly Brothers started a four-week run at number one in the U.S. with All I Have to Do is Dream. Written by the husband and wife songwriting team, Felice and... Nope, not going to say that name. The track was recorded in just two takes. I don't know that song. It's a pretty song. 1963. Bob Dylan walked out of rehearsals for the U.S. TV Ed Sullivan show after being told that he couldn't perform his song Talking John Birch Paranoid Blues due to it mocking the U.S. military and segregation. CBS officials asked Dylan to substitute it for another song, but the singer reportedly said, No, this is what I want to do. If I can't play my song, I'd rather not appear on the show. Fair. In 1965, Wilson Pickett recorded the soul classic In the Midnight Hour with studio musicians Steve Cropper and Al Jackson of the Stax Records House Band, including bassist Donald Duck Dunn. (laughs) Do you know who that is? Blues Brothers. Okay. I think he's in the f- first movie, at least. They're like, I recognize the name. Yeah, okay. 1965. 
The Rolling Stones recorded I Can't Get No Satisfaction at RCA Hollywood Studios. Keith Richards had come up with the guitar riff in the middle of the night a week earlier. It gave the band their first number one single in the U.S. I think that's the story where he's passed out and he wakes up and he's like, okay, I got to record this riff. And then he doesn't turn the tape off. So the next morning he goes to listen to the tape. He hears the riff and then he's just snoring away. I I think that's that story. Uh, We talked about this one earlier. 1967, Are You Experienced was released in the U.K., by Jimi Hendrix. Oh, okay. And on a sad note, in 1968, Brian Jones made his final live appearance with the Rolling Stones. Uh, drowned while under the influence of drugs and alcohol after taking a midnight swim in his pool on July 3rd, 1969. So he was, this was over a year later. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what the issue, I don't know if he got fired or the Stones just didn't do anything in that year time frame may 12th 1972 the rolling stones released exile on main street <laughs> we just talked about that one not so long ago 1981 meatloaf filed for bankruptcy with debts of over one million dollars singer stated i made almost nothing that's how it was back then the record company said bad out of hell never made a profit and we'll just we'll just do one more because there's not a whole lot that i'm seeing 2017, Kendrick Lamar was at number one on the U.S. album chart with his fourth studio album, Damn. It became the Billboard year-end number one album of 2017 and was nominated for Album of the Year and won Best Rap Album at the 60th 60th Annual Grammy Awards. The album also won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for Music, making it the first non-jazz or classical work to earn the accolade. Hmm. So that might be a a, a reviews day album to listen to at some point so okay well do you have any recommendations uh Simon Garfunkel stuff I guess (laughs) wow that's it yeah I don't I don't know you know it doesn't have to be related to whatever we're talking about okay I recommend not shoving batteries up your nose and that is what I get. So, um, I don't have any recommendations. You know, it doesn't have to be about this kind of stuff. It can be anything. Are you serious? I No, I am not a dog. <sighs> My God. Okay, I'm just going to go. Thank you for listening. I hope you cut out most of this here at the end. And if he did not, I apologize. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Worst on Mars. Also, all... Eh. To be honest, I don't do a lot of work on Twitter because Twitter sucks, but um, find us on Facebook, Worst Podcast on Mars. Send us an email, worstpodonmars at gmail.com. Um, leave a rating and review on whatever podcast platform that you're listening to. And if you uh, leave us a review, I'll read it here as we record. Um, send us a su- suggestion for an album we should do because on Tuesdays we do little mini episodes called Reviews Days where I give you just a few facts about an album, and then we talk um, our reviews and our thoughts about it, trying to just experience some new music and also torture each other. Did I do it all? Sure. You never listen. Nope. Come back next week. It's not a surprise that I don't listen. No. Come back next week where we're talking Luther Vandross's Never Too Much. Bye-bye.